the cows of bodily pains, the host of spiritual sorrows, and all the allies of death and hell set themselves in battle against Jesus, the Son of Man. Oh, how precious to know and believe that he has routed their hosts and has trodden them down in his anger. There is no more sting from the dragon that is sin and death. Jesus defeats it. But before he does, he gets beat up. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, in every way you can possibly imagine, Jesus gets more beat up than anyone else in the history of the world. And David feels like he's going through that as well. David is in a similar temptation, uh, situation. Jesus was abandoned. However, David was afraid of being abandoned. Jesus legitimately was abandoned by everyone and by God. God abandoned Jesus. Jesus says, God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And yet Jesus comes out on the flip side to conquer death. David is afraid of being conquered. David is afraid of God leaving him. And this is a foreshadowing of God actually leaving Jesus. Now, this bit of fear came from the sin and the fact that he was a sinner. However, David repented and had the grace and forgiveness and love of God. As he looked forward in time to what Jesus would do, David accepted that salvation and was saved by God. David, I, I, don't, I don't know if you can connect with these feelings of your own sin, of having sin in your life. I can. I look at David and I read what he says and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I said, I can be sometimes emotional, up and down. And when I'm down, I'm, I'm down, down, down. And I can connect with that about David. I can connect with his fear. He's got these legitimate and illegitimate fears. And the fact, the thing that changed for David was that he believed that he needed God. He believed that in his sin he needed God. Not someone else, but needed God. You and I, in our sin... We are welcome to throw pity parties and complaining parties and parties for ourselves about how much we're doing terrible. However, with Jesus, he wants to bring us out of that. He wants to bring us through that. He wants to speak, speak truth to us. So if you repent and submit, love that word, right? No one does. And submit to the kingship of Jesus, you do not stay in that spot. David repents. David acknowledges the kingship of Jesus. He acknowledges his legitimate and illegitimate fears and asks and cries out to God for help and for hope and for safety. He wants God to give him peace. He wants God to save him. Now, briefly, this is the first time in this psalm that, in the book of Psalms, that the word selah appears. I'll be straight up with you. No one knows what that means. It's just in there. However, through about 2,000 years of reading and studying Hebrew and what this means and its context in other areas, we've discovered that selah is a musical or liturgical term that is meant to signify a, a pause and an anticipation of a next step. They would be singing this song. The Israelites would literally be singing this song together and there would be a selah and they would stop and they would reflect on what they just sang and they would reflect on what they were about to sing. 
they would reflect on ascending in their voices with their musical instruments, with their emotions, with their thoughts. They were meditating on the thoughts of God while they were singing. And Selah is a, is a signifying transition in the psalm to do that. It's almost like a built-in pause button where you can just chill out for a second, understand, acknowledge, acknowledge where everything is, and keep going. So that's Selah. Then verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. David is in the pit. David is complaining. David has no hope. And he reorients his thoughts to God because hope is in God. David literally has to stop, Selah, and pause, Selah, and anticipate who God is and look forward to who God is and acknowledge who God is. So who is God? God is good. God is a shield. Literally a 360 degree shield. This word shield translated means all encompassing shield. Both from the front of our friends who attack us, from the condemnation of sin that attacks us that comes from Satan, and then from our own selves because we lie to ourselves and we believe lies. God is a shield against all those things. God is good and he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Jesus, as David's Lord, is a sacrificial lamb offered up in our place. And if we repent and follow him, not only once, but continually throughout life, we have God as a shield for us. David cried out to God first and foremost. He didn't cry out to himself. He didn't cry out to his commanders who would like gather around him and protect him. First and foremost, David cried out to God. And that should signify us something about crying out to God. It's the first place we should go. It's the first place the Holy Spirit convicts us to go. It's the first and really only hope we have. When you cry out to God in your need of help, you are submitting to him as king. That's the first thing we do. That's how we repent and first know Jesus, is acknowledge him like that and continue on. That is how we continue on. And David, a believer, a king, cries out to God, the true king, to save him. So my question is, who do you cry out to? As we're continuing on in this, it is, it is linear in the, unlike one single arrow and more linear in the fact of many, many arrows. So these psalms are written in and of themselves as musical musics, musical writing, as poems. Sorry. And they're written like that to signify that that is where truth is, is in God's word. And so we look at that as many bundles of arrows. So who do you cry out to when you have no hope? Who do you cry out to when you're having a tough time? All of us cry out to God when we're dying. All of us, hopefully, all of us cry out to God when we need extreme help. But do you cry out to God in the small things? Do you cry out to God when you're feeling just a little tired or just a little weak? Or do you muster up your own strength? Are you trying to be the Lord of your own life instead of submitting to God as the king of all life? So David submits to God as the king of all life and he acknowledges that there is yet hope. Many thousands of people, many millions of people are against him and he admits, no, that's cool. 
there's still hope. 2 Samuel 15, which is where the story is. Um, David says, so this is what he says in that. He says, Then the king, David, said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, if God says, I have no pleasure in you, then behold, here I am. Let God do to me what seems good to him. David's understanding of hope is based in the fact that God does what seems good to him, not what seems good to David. That is how we deal with our emotions. That is how we deal with actual problems in our lives. Emotions are actual problems, but legitimate physical problems in their life, like an army coming against you. That's how you deal with it. By acknowledging that God will do as he please because he's good. And you can trust in that. And so David... David looks at that and then cries out to God again. He says that in 2 Samuel as he's writing the psalm and acknowledges that God does what is good to him. And God, because God is on his holy hill, David says that in the next verse. Because God is on his holy hill above us, outside of us, bigger than us, more powerful than us, God can see better than us. The best thing I can think of is, is a relationship with a parent to a child. I'm a somewhat new dad, and my daughter likes to eat literally everything that my wife and I eat. Now, we've raised her in such a way that she can eat a lot of those things. However, there's a lot of things that she cannot, like if I'm sitting around with a beer. She cannot have that, but she does want it. That doesn't stop her from reaching and grasping for it. That doesn't stop her from digging her hand in to get all the cookies instead of just one. She wants those things. And so because I am above her, because I have more knowledge and wisdom than her, I use discretion and keep her back. That doesn't feel good for her at all, actually, (laughs) ever. But it is what is good for her. David is acknowledging that God, even if you don't save me physically from these armies, it's still good because you are above me. You are Father God. You are Jesus King. You have a better understanding of life than I do. And so even if it feels terrible, I can trust and hope in you. David submitted to God as the rightful king. And in the next verse, he continues on after acknowledging this truth. This is what he does. He's got thousands and thousands of people against him. He's terrified of legitimate and illegitimate fears. He acknowledges that God is king. And then he lays down and sleeps. I lay down and slept. And I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I don't know if you've ever had a really good, peaceful sleep in the middle of chaos. It's real easy to sleep when things are fine. When you've got a job, when your kids are obeying, when your wife loves you, when your husband loves you when the house has nothing falling apart, when the neighbors don't want to like, go against you because you mowed their little clip of grass. I don't, I don't know if you've been able to acknowledge that peace that comes from the truth of God. But if you have, you know that it's not of yourself. 
David acknowledges this truth of God and understands that it's not of himself. It's of the gospel. And the gospel addresses his legitimate and illegitimate fears in the truth of God. It is a sweet sleep. Even as he's being pursued by people who want to fillet him, he can sleep peacefully. Not because he feels good about it, because he doesn't. We just read that. But because the truth of God transcends our feelings. And instead of being determined by how we feel, God's truth informs how we should feel. And it's a patient, practiced truth. It's a patiently practiced peace that can only come from the Spirit of God. Going back to the legitimate and illegitimate fears, the gospel addresses these by taking us up and out of our pity and our sin. David had many sins, and they were legitimately sins, like we talked about earlier. And his people set them up against him. How do you and I connect with that? Legitimate sin, legitimate fear, maybe not necessarily sin, but legitimate fear. My daughter should be afraid of a robber who comes into our house. It would be weird if she were not. That is a legitimate fear. The gospel addresses that fear by giving her hope in that she has a papa who will do everything in his somewhat flabby power to protect her. There's an ability and a desire, there's a desire to protect and there's an ability to protect. In the gospel, we have that desire to protect our children. And that is how the gospel reaches out to our children and gives them peace when they have legitimate fears. They can trust God in their papa who knows how to use tools to protect her. Illegitimate fears. When I was a kid, I was afraid that being in the second level of a house with three other boys in the room and two girls next door and my parents across his way, I was afraid that a dump truck would drive through my window. That's an illegitimate fear. Yet, if you compared how I felt in fear of that dump truck with how my daughter would feel in fear of a robber, we would probably feel feel very much the same. Our affections would be turned to fear. We would be trembling in our little tiny booties. We would be afraid. Yet the gospel addresses legitimate, illegitimate fears as well because God values how we feel and he treats how we feel with truth. In the gospel, in the hope and peace that comes through relationship with God through Jesus on the cross, we get peace through legitimate and illegitimate fears. I am not afraid of dump jokes anymore. God has matured me beyond that point. He has been a practiced patient, it actually took a long time, practiced patience for me to grow beyond that fear and trust the Lord that that wouldn't ever happen or couldn't actually happen at all. Both fears are fought with the fear of God first. In the gospel, we fear God first. So let's talk about fear. I say fear of God. You say, why? He's loving. Okay, the Bible says we should fear God. Well, why? He's loving. If my daughter saw me beat a robber in front of her, she would not only be relieved, but then terrified of me. Because she just saw my arms wailing. She just saw something violent and terrible happen. And she's afraid of me as well. Now, because we have that relationship, 
her fear does not stay there. Because we have that relationship and she understands that I also love her, that I also care about her, that I also want good for her, she can see that, hopefully, powerful display of protection and she can feel safe in her fear of me. So the fear of God is an awestruck reverence. It's an acknowledgement of the power of God and the powerlessness of us. So words mean things. Fear means fear. And in that fear, without Jesus, we should be afraid. Jesus brings us hope in that fear of God that is peaceful, that is loving, that is it's harmonious in the midst of chaos. Fear is chaotic unless placed in God. And so the gospel dresses these fears by having us fear God first and only, and in comparison to everything else, in comparison to all other fears, the fear of God trumps every single time. The fear of God is the best fear to have. When you are afraid of God, when you have fear, awestruck love, and understanding of the character and goodness of God, you have none of it for anything else or anyone else. And that's what David understands. When folks talk about the fear-worthiness of God, they often forget about other attributes of God's character and elevate this one. However, David did not, because the fear of God brought him peace and not chaos. It brought him peace and not turmoil. When we're fearing God and we feel turmoil, let us remember that he died on a cross for us. That he had literal nails driven through his arms and his legs for us. That he had a sword driven through his side. That he had very long needles, or very long thorns stuck through his head for you. That is a God to be fearful of and to be worshipped. Peace comes from this practiced fear. Peace comes from the gospel. And this peace is practiced. It has to come in time. It is not magic. It is not, a, it is not a gumball machine where you just put it in and you get the gumball and things are good and you chew it all and you're great. That's not how it works. It's practiced. David learned the fear of God. David learned how to be in battle as a shepherd long before he was a king. Long before thousands of people came against him. He had lions coming against him, or wolves. And he learned how to deal with the fear of those things first, before he moved on to those other fears. God grows us up, and that's what I mean when I say it's a practiced peace. God gives us that peace, but it is through through truth. It's through the Holy Spirit giving us the Bible, knowing God's word, and him giving us peace through that. We can sleep like like, uh, David did in the midst of danger because of the mighty love and mighty power and redemptive nature of God. We can sleep peacefully because God is good just as much as he is powerful, just as much as he is fear-worthy. The last section of this. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you strike all enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and your blessing be on your people. 
Arise, O Lord. David is calling out to God. He is telling God, he is asking, pleading with God to get up, to save him, to come into his rescue. He is pleading and waiting on God to physically do something about these thousands of people that want to kill him. Yet he knows that he might not. Again, David says, I have, if God says that I have no pleasure in David, behold, here I am and let him do to me what seems good to him. David understands that God might not save him. We in our lives must understand that God might not take us out of the situation. God might not change our circumstances, but he can change our perspective on them. He wants to transform how we feel and what we think about our situations. This is key in understanding how God deals with folks. It's tough because a lot of it means that we're still sitting in the toilet of our crap. But it feels and it can feel, will feel, our affections get changed so that it's different. There's hope in Jesus. Some of that might be in this life. Some of that might be in the next, in heaven. It's not always as we expect. David, his son was coming against him, and David, as a father should, did not want his son to die. David had love and concern for Absalom, even though Absalom was coming against him. Even though Absalom wanted his throne, his kingdom, his wives, his head, David wanted Absalom alive. David was very concerned with restoring relationship back with his son. And so when the commanders went out to fight Absalom, David gave them very very specific instructions. To Joab, he said, don't kill my son. Treat him gently. And he said it in front of the whole army, which tells you how many people there were with him. Not that many if he could say that and everyone heard him. He said that to all of them. And they heard him. And what happened? They killed his son. Absalom's long, beautiful, gorgeous hair got caught in a tree as he was riding on his horse. He got hung there by his hair, and Joab ran a spear through him. Joab disobeyed the orders of the king, and David's heart was broken. And when they came back into the city, they came back in not as triumphant victors, but as mourning brothers. The story goes on, and I encourage you to read it. However, the point is that things did not turn out exactly how David wanted them to, yet he ends this psalm with hope. He ends it with salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord and the Lord only. Salvation belongs and comes from only God. I cannot be, David says, I cannot be saved by Joab, I cannot be saved by my generals, and I certainly, knowing a beginning of the depth of my own sin, cannot be saved by myself. Salvation comes only from God. David was saved, but not as what he expected. So we should submit to Jesus' rule, just like David submits to Jesus' rule. Let Let God do to us as he sees fit. And we can trust him in that because he's good, because of the cross. The best thing I know, the best story that I can relate this to in my own life is with my wife. She has an open, and will openly admit to a a struggle, a fear of death. 
And yet, two years ago, she had willingly, because it was the best advice we could, she went into open-heart surgery, where they literally fillet you open and have you frozen for six hours while they work on your heart. She knew that would happen and submitted to that in spite of her fear of death because she believes that God is good. And it was not easy. It was not fun. It felt terrible. Believe me, as a guy who's sitting in the waiting room Googling what they're doing to her. It's not fun. And it was not fun for her to walk into that. But she has a righteous and holy fear of God through the gospel that transcended how she felt about going into surgery. And she submitted in the Holy Spirit to what God wanted to do with her, whether he would take her life there on that operating room or continue on. Many of you have similar stories. Many of you can get that, can understand that, can relate to that. I would urge you, continue reading the Psalms. Continue worshiping God. Continue pouring truth into your life through the Holy Spirit, through teaching here, through city group, through personal disciple making, through personal Bible study. Why? Because the Bible warns us, take heed lest you fall. We think we've conquered sin, we get arrogant, and it comes right back and bites us. Because God is king, and we need to rely on him and not ourselves. Who then shall we fear but God alone? God blesses us. God has the cup of wrath that he poured out on Jesus. And for those who repent and follow him, he has familyhood. He has sonship and daughtership, daughterhood. He has safety, he has security, he has hope. Not in saving us from circumstances, but in spite of circumstances. In spite of circumstances because of our sin, and in spite of circumstances because of other people's sin. Salvation belongs to the Lord only, and who shall we fear but God? He blesses us. Your blessing be on your people. When we rely on ourselves, we are left empty-handed. When we rely on Jesus, we are kept in his good and powerful hands. Situationally, we can be restored to relationship with God because he is good. When we're lost, we pray and cry out to God like, G- like David did in this psalm. This is a good pattern for understanding how to deal with issues in our own life, physical, like actual things, and then terrifying emotions, fear. We acknowledge our fear, verse 1 and 2. We acknowledge it. If we ignore it, it stays there. We have to acknowledge that we have feelings and that things are bad. So we acknowledge that, verse 1 and 2. Verse 2 and 3. We acknowledge truth. Jesus is truth. The gospel is truth. In that fear, take a moment and understand what that means for your life. And if you can think of no other way that the gospel applies to your situation, call me. The phone number is right there, and we can talk about it. Pick up your Bible. Pray to God, and he will show you the hope that is only in him. Verse 5 and 6, and that gives us peace. That allows us to deal with the situation. That allows us to trust God as he deals with their situation. And from that, we worship him. From that, we acknowledge that blessing comes from God. Fruitful lives come from God. Feelings are deceptive. Valuable, yes, but deceptive nonetheless. We must learn 
to lean into and submit to the truth of God and to his goodness in himself to deal with life. This is a good song. I'm not sure if we have any questions. Let me check. Nope, no questions. If you would like questions and you would like to text them in later, we'd be happy to um, answer them on the city um, or by phone call or by letter. Not letter, email. Um, Right now, we're going to come back and take communion. This is the cup of the blood of God and this is the bread of the body that was broken for us. The blood was spilt on our behalf, in our place, for us. Let us worship this. If you're a believer, if you love Jesus, if you claim him as king, you are welcome to come and commune and enjoy communion with us. This is a symbol. This is a sacrament that we do to worship and celebrate what God has done. To worship and celebrate that he has not left us in our pity and sinfulness. If you're not, if you don't know Jesus, deal with that. Think about it. Pray. Come talk to one of us. We'd love to talk with you. God is a good king. We're going to worship him in song after we're done with communion or during communion. And I encourage you to look at the words. Make your own personal say law and understand the words of what we're singing. These have scripture in them. We pick these songs not randomly because they're popular, but because they have theological truth that needs to be embedded in our lives so that God can change who we are through his truth. Not only what we think, but also how we feel. That's all we got. Let's pray. Ah, Jesus, thank you so much that you care about all of who we are. Thank you that we do not have to run from intellect and knowledge. Thank you that we do not have to run from how we feel. That we can repent of worshiping other things besides yourself. That we can repent of our own sinfulness and our eagerness to sin. And that you can restore fellowship with us as you keep relationship with us. You are a good and mighty king. And I thank you that David was such, such an emotional wreck sometimes because I feel that way often. I thank you that he was a godly man that you made to give yourself glory so that you can make us into godly men and women to give yourself glory. Jesus, again, thank you for the cross. We have no hope outside of you. May we repent of following other things besides you. May we repent of having hope in other things besides you. And may we enjoy you forever. You are a good, powerful, loving, fear-worthy king. Thank you for being our king. All these things we ask in the name of your son, who matters most. Amen.